The Minor Constellations Podcast. Conversations with engaged thinkers and doers. I'm Kathleen Sampson. And I'm Yair And we're doctoral fellows at the research training group Minor Cosmopolitanisms, which hosts this podcast. In this episode, we listen in on a conversation between Dr. Zoran Terzic, a writer, jazz pianist and visual artist, and Priyam Goswami Choudhury, a PhD fellow in the RTG Minor Cosmopolitanisms, researching publishing networks of poetry. Zoran and Priyam have known each other for five years now, and in August this year, they met in Zoran's apartment in Berlin to chat about his book, Idiocracy. What we hear in this episode is part of a longer conversation which took place on that day and of their ongoing discussions. We drop in as they talk about how Zoran came to publish a book on the figure of the idiot so tinyously and follow them as they move from different manifestations of the idiot, whether in Dostoevsky, Flaubert or on the internet, through to the reproduction of the self through phenomena such as memes or TikTok, and finally as they come to talk about the direction of the internet and different figures of futurity. You'll also hear Zoran's musical interludes, played by him on the melodica. As we live in a time of extreme paranoia online, the hysterical circulation of conspiracy theories, the consumption basically of everything from different platforms of social media, we thought it would be interesting to talk to Zoran, who chooses to approach political phenomena by focusing on the absurd or quirky themes which might be able to reveal different understandings about our political condition in this case, through the figure of the idiot. In his book, Idiocracy, Thinking and Acting in the Age of the Idiot, which was published in German in 2020 and which is currently being translated into English, forthcoming from Chicago University Press, Zoran writes about the new quality of idiocy as a result of the production of reality and the self through capital markets, and often exemplified in how we use social media to reproduce a replicated self. Let's listen in. question would have to do with you publishing your book called Idiocracy in 2020. When did you start thinking about the book, right? Or how much of it was also sort of propagated by Brexit, Trump, and how, how did that come about? Is oh, that I, a part I, of I started, uh, I think, 2014. You had the Tea Party in the US. You don't need uh, Trump. I, th- I was really happy that <laughs> uh, that uh, the things that I was writing about kind of meant something or had a certain traction. But of course, I'm joking, like when he announced, nobody took him seriously. It's just, uh, he's not as important, but, but it's more that the things that make him possible, which is um, a systemic self-destruction somehow, and you don't have to include the entire personality. You can it just a simple aspect is maybe enough to shine a light on certain aspects of how power reproduces itself. Like how I mean, a lot of books have been published about him from a medical perspective. So really? Not, yeah, yeah. Like two hundred uh, psychologists against Trump or something like that. And to me, it's not interesting because I'm not interested in. It's also not productive anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of. In vain, it doesn't make sense. It's again this notion that 
you can grasp reality with uh, within a empirical positivist framework like only scientists it's not how power works uh, it works with a, a lot of other means too so I, I was interested in this theatralic notion also in the in terms of, of Pierre Ubi you know the, the surrealist king of Alfred Jarry beginning of the 20th century which is exactly this completely ignorant power figure who who kills the king comes to power but doesn't really in the beginning doesn't want to become king so he's just this annoying nasty person and uh, uh, Jarry creates uh, this yeah before Dada and before the surrealism before Atto he creates this notion this metaphysical force on the stage which is self-destructive but creates destruction is killing and debraining 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 and hearing i don't know how the french term translates to english but it sucks out the brain of the people as a punishment and that is such a delusion body without organs yes, sort of. <laughs> kind of scene yeah but it's sense. also it's very hyper individualistic because he's doing what he likes then mm. and what he feels like but at the same time if he uh, sends some uh, resistance he jumps on the table and starts crying and he's swearing all the time so i was interested in this um, kind of a character study and to understand like how that influences political communication and particularly the the kind of political decorum in the US and I think a lot of things have changed they all got dragged down by trump they uh, all got loosened up everything yeah. became loosened up like yes. the boundaries of what is expected what is accepted it's all kind of yeah. out there all the the corn got drawn to drain but it's it was necessary in a certain way because it's a lie it's a self it's a self perpetuating lie it's also a facade of who, who it lets in and not because i and i see that. is nothing other than a systemic expression of strategical thinking it's a filter it's a filter it creates certain rules certain uh, manners that we are to follow not to fall out of you have your country's interests and and you have to uh, communicate them and cooperate and uh, whenever like a decorum is crushed it's, it says something that the system is kind of shaking i would say it's not necessarily a bad thing as such you cannot just say oh it's an idiot that's it it's no he's also proper kind of racist so and that's the problem if i talk about you just see there's a tendency to say oh if you just excuse you excuse everything by putting certain political phenomena into this brainless universe there's no guilt there and there's just there's no responsibility and you cannot really be political about it but i think it's a necessarily methodological step to do this and not ignoring Absolutely. real politics it's just a matter of approach we, we cannot just keep on going having a realist language when you talk about politics there has to be many levels of approaching political phenomena in my view so and my strength is doing this the other way so going for quirky topics and themes because they say a lot about the serious stuff i would claim i hope <laughs> it's so interesting you say this because the first time i heard about you writing a book this is even before i met you yeah was from wolfgang wolfgang farkas who says my friend is writing a book about idiots and we started discussing dostoevsky because yes, of yeah. the idiot and i also said oh but there's also flaubert and we started talking about flaubert and 
he said, I, I don't think he's that interested in literature. I'm like, well, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all connected. I mean, <clears throat> these are different kinds of things. Like back then, the, the idiotes, as I mentioned, it, it was, say, a technical term almost. Just people who stayed at home. It, over time, it, it got this other connotation. And its antagonist was the strategos. It's the strategos is someone who, who anticipates what, in a given situation, another person will do or, or thinks and so on. And the idiot doesn't do that. He just does his own thing. And strategos uh, does his own thing, but considers how the other uh, may react. And today we have these two antagonists in ourselves. I think it's important to understand these two forces and they're still, they're still alive. So we try to be strategical, thinking slow or not thinking at all. And then it happens that by sheer complexity of a matter, we, we necessarily become idiots because we expose ourselves to a situation which we don't have control over. And since you mentioned Dostoevsky, or these cases of with Flaubert, Flaubert was called the idiot of the family because he was a backward kid, learned language very late. And Dostoevsky's idiot is, is an ethical idiot. He's, it's a mixture of Jesus and uh, Don Quixote. So he wanted to create this perfectly good human. And uh, if you think this through, <laughs> it has to be an idiot. <laughs> like nobody's just good. It's impossible to be that. If you're per perfectly this good, dumb, good guy, um, you're considered an idiot. It's a cynical uh, reaction to that, you know. Um, that you are naive. Naive, yeah. That's kind of the thing. That sort of a thing. But it's interesting because the ethical point necessarily means that you have to take futurity into consideration when yeah. you are acting, which is why the question of idiocy is so sort of related to this idea of temporality. So nowadays you have, let's call it a futurity complex, with people who like to anticipate in a strategic way what will happen in one, two, three, and so on years. Very often this is combined with certain emerging technologies, that kind of thing. The problem is that the future is at least two phases, I would say. It's the stuff that you determine. Set in stone. Set in the internet. <laughs> and another thing is the fluidity of the moments, which the idiot is predestined to... Uh, Act upon? Yeah, because it's the, his way of functioning. I can't help bringing it in. I started thinking about memes around the same time when you started talking about gifts. You know, like looping gifts. The perfect unending loop. And because mm. there is no end to it, it is this perpetual present there and you consume it or you even take part in it. And I think the memes are interesting because in many ways it's also perpetuating. You, you take something, you make a meme of a meme of a meme, you know, and it's never ending. That way it's, it's very different as a way of self-expression on the internet. How would you call that? Well, self-expression, there has to be a self for self-expression. And I'm not quite sure in this era of hyper-individualism what self means, actually, because people are very uniform in self-expressing themselves, the way they use certain uh, visual and pathetic formulas to represent themselves, visually or verbally or whatever. It's very uniform, like the way the, the laugh, the jokes, it's kind of... 
I mean, it's, it's on one hand, it's permanently self-reproductive, but the self is not individualistic. The self is a more or less uh, universal or generic self that creates itself via medium, this is how I would say. It's a multitude of um, beings, speaking in Spinoza's terms. Also like Walt Whitman, I contain multitudes, now just called multitudes contain me. It can be an empty formula. But I think crucial is to understand that the selves are not by themselves individualistic. And this is why memes exist actually. They are not copyrighted in a certain way. It is also about the technology within which we produce it. Memes are easier because it's one picture. And now, because our technology has become even more accessible, you have things like TikTok, which is really a version of that because you have a template and then there is somebody making something of it, putting themselves in it, but not necessarily making it their own really, but feeding into a larger culture they can be a part of. Well, there's, um, they studied memes in, in, in paintings and, and cultural artifacts. And Abi Warburg called these things, if they related to gesture and expression of a certain decorum in, in a given society, he called pathos formula. So it means, you know, the emperor points towards the future. The way you show emotion, uh, almost like decorum rules, very often non-implicit. When you compare this over time, then you discover certain patterns. But the question today is, while these old pathos formulas related to a society as a whole, or at least specific part of, so it mostly like uh, didn't concern lower classes, I guess. But today it represents subcultures, subgroups, because every weirdo will find another weirdo to, to attach, to attach to. So the question is where it's going, like what's the direction of the internet? Where's the time arrow of the internet? It's interesting though, because even when I was a child, the idea of the internet is that it was going to be free. People were going to connect to each other no matter what. But what you've really found is that one weirdo will find another weirdo. Yes. That's all you found out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like this perfect fast food. It's not It's healthy, it's not unhealthy. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of mediocre, like you would say. Happy and mediocre, that kind of thing. I mean, this is, this is part of the game, the notion of destruction. Um, this is very powerful, actually, I would say. It's, you know, you recognize these tendencies from non-internet life. I started thinking about this entire idea of the world historical figure, right? The it's world really historical figure? The, the Hegelian mode. Because okay. Hegel was like writing about Napoleon when he is at the door and he's like, this is a world historical figure. <clears throat> or... Does it mean that a particular person who is an agent is essentially completely random, chaos? Mm -hmm. Or do you put the idiot as this random vessel, which, it, which would be the world historical figure, as somebody who's going to influence a particular history and does not necessarily need to have any individuated self at all because they're just making memes about Pepe the Frog one day and the next day Trump has come to power. Mm -hmm. You have this mindlessness, uh, pure activism, 
pure form of activism. It's just doing. Let's call it dialectically intertwined. So this is where the idiotes and the strategos are kind of intertwined. It's not just one or the other. And uh, in terms of historical world figure, it's, it, nowadays it feels like a very bygone. It is a completely bygone term because it does not seem to take into account the larger mass that all of us are always at every point of time contributing to mm -hmm. the history. Which yeah. is why you have to take the individual itself out of it and essentially just put that, no, all of us are at every point of time. Mm -hmm. And which is why it loses its meaning, mm -hmm. because it's no longer a person. Because the moment you are including everybody in it, is you cannot distinguish them from anyone else. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's a matter of boundary and defining boundaries and defining, like in a given phenomenon, what's the particularness of it and how it does it relate to a universal aspect. I think it's a, it's a Hegelian age in a certain way that it means you can go for human rights but you have to understand what in a given moment what kind of specific issue you are uh, looking for. Generally all lives matter but specifically black lives do matter. So this, is, but this is a universal Point, you, know, you have to start somewhere, and I think this is where I find it so interesting. For instance, in talking about particularities, either self-perpetuating or self-performing, we get into the very dangerous territory of talking about stereotypes, or even if people says, oh, I want to own that stereotype, about feeding into that system. Yeah. And that's where I find it very interesting, where in pop culture, you can see this performing on meme pages these things are completely intertwined. And I think it has become even more charged up. Mm. Yeah, and uh, it's much more dynamic in the internet. But it's the same thing, because don't forget, uh, there's the world outside. <laughs> things like military and torture and all these deaths, state killings. But there's this illusion that somehow the world is uh, different. But still, you have to, everything is happening all the time as it this used to happen back in those days. Like in negative terms, you can say internet is an idiot machine, a gigantic idiot machine as a distraction instrument. So you dive in and stay there and somehow here and there you grasp references to, to the outer world and it's kind of real in that sense that it has repercussions in the permanent repercussions. It's a very complex dynamic process. So on the other hand, you, you notice also it's a great organizational tool. And uh, things like for activist groups and so on, things are much more available. Like there's much, many more ways. So it's it's not just one thing. It's the idiot and the strategist are intertwined. That's interesting because I think I've always felt that the larger thing that we need to do will never happen if I am sitting here on the internet. And that's that moment where I'm probably doing something and I'm thinking, God, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> such a... If something feels in vain, yeah? What am I doing, actually? And sometimes the what am I doing can be very productive because it spurs you on to do more real things, within quotations, of course. But sometimes it is also a feeling of complete powerlessness. I mean, what do you make of the term doom scrolling? Because that is peak internet speak. You're doom scrolling because you're fixated, mesmerized really by the abyss of the internet scroll that you can keep going. 
there's a deeper level to that. I think it's a kind of apocalyptic drive. It's, it's there, it's a daily thing. And it's not necessarily a dis destructive or dystopian thing. It's like for Pasolini, Apocalypse was something creative. It's staying at the end, so to speak. It's not ending, but it's enjoying kind of being in, on the edge. Like imagine a movie that stays in the end. It's difficult to <laughs> talk, talk about. I actually identified four futurities in this new upcoming book. Uh, one is the, the visionist. I envision a picture or have a, that somehow already is there. It's already happening. And the other is a more a processual future. It means uh, we are doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, and then we will achieve this. And then you have this, this apocalyptic notion that means I see an end to all. <laughs> It's somehow present, but somehow it forces me to react and to create. It's a never-ending process. Think of Paul Valéry's notion of this never-ending poem. So it's something that goes on permanently, without being a process. It's just a self-reproductive movement of the end. And then the fourth futurity, I would say, it's what Kafka says, es ist noch nichts geschehen, like this notion of a beginning. Every next moment can create a completely new world. This is kind of the crazy notion. And this is why Kafka says every revolutionary movement is right, because you can put yourself in a position to say, whatever happened, happened, but you can also say, nothing has happened yet. The thing is to come yet, so. Don't you think it's coming on with the idea of climate change and people becoming increasingly more anxious about an apocalypse? It is, it is sort of creeping in, into everything. Oh, yeah, everything. true. Exactly, yeah. It's, uh, but I would say it's a combination of this apocalypse and also this processual thing. Because it's, very often it's combined with uh, an imperative to act. And to act in a certain way that has clear goals. And as soon as you set your goals, you think of a process that achieves these goals. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. I just want to frame these the way people think about what, what's coming. Frame it in a certain way so to understand that there are uh, several forces that create these images of the future. How do we get there? And sometimes it makes sense to expose that because a process as, as such doesn't achieve anything. You have to understand what a new beginning means. And you have to understand what ending, the self-maintaining ending means. And these are normally discussed in literary and uh, artistic context. But then would be interested to include what Nietzsche described as a form of nihilism. It's interesting you say that because the, the thought that kept coming to my mind right now was the way that Kundera talked about the Ninth Symphony, Beethoven's Ninth, in yeah. um, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, mm -hmm. where he says that you think that note is the last note, but you keep going. Mm -hmm. And then he sort of mapped it onto the psyche of someone like Tomas, I think mm -hmm. he would say in Czech. This this character who thinks, my, my God, this is my life. This is what it is. And then you think this is the determining factor, but it completely changes because there's another note coming in. There's another note coming in. Mm -hmm. And then he also maps it onto the whole Alexander Dubček situation in Czechoslovakia back in the day. Oh, interesting. It's, it's very interesting because he essentially also brings in politics into this because he says that they were good-intentioned people mm -hmm. and yet the problem is once something is destroyed, the tragedy is that it does not really get destroyed. You have to live through it. The continuities 
is what you have to then see what is the beginning, what is the processional end, and it's this weird dialectic between these two forces. You read Atto after coming back from Ireland. He looks into the void, so to speak. He realized that what he refused to accept was not life, but it was the void. So in his case, the repression is a fight against the void. It's some, a creative operation itself. But if you if you are in the realm of processual thinking, the state of being we, we call maybe depression or something, it doesn't have an end. It doesn't have it's in a functional uh, relation to what's coming. It means there is no development, there is no escape. So even in in this in these kind of extreme psychological or whatever, you can define uh, exit movements or modes of production. Cultural modes of production or. All, all sorts of production, which can also be like a political well, future that I'm, you are. I'm kind of in the cultural field, so it's natural that I these things pop up in my mind and I relate to them. It's a, it's a very complex matter, So, uh, but you cannot separate all these things. It's, it's uh, embedded in a, a lot of narratives and a lot of new ways of how the future is thought of. I love that we're coming back to the hunger artist, really. Because, <laughs> the, that hunger is, artist. because the hunger artist is such a special piece of work. The whole idea of this artist is that he's hungry. It's going towards a void of you not being there. Because that, if that is your art form, the perfect form of that is that you are not there. And coming in the era that it was, Kafka is in many ways, I think, reacting to that. And I think it's very interesting to, again, yeah. talking about cultural things, we end up in Kafka. <laughs> but uh, remember how it ends, like he's replaced by this uh, animal. Yes. Panther. Yeah. And uh, it's a very impressive animal, and he writes that it seems like the idea of freedom is in his in his teeth, so to speak. You see, that's uh, maybe it's this kind of the core of Kafka. He's hungry, hungry, but uh, he's all these figures of beginning and fighting. It's it's all over his his opus. Absolutely, fighting and, and cutting. This anticipates the you know, existentialist notions that you are just thrown into this fight. And you, 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 you're always in media res. Yes, yes, in media temporis. <laughs> in that case, if we go back to the idiot, can it be a mode of resistance? Since the idiot is resisting also the expression of the self, it's in itself a mode of resistance, of course. Many activists, startup activists, they think like uh, corporations and they present themselves like corporations and uh, want to be perceived as professionals in this artistic field, so to get funding and so on. So, because they don't give money to idiots, you know, that's the problem. So, I would propose for more idiot funding to avoid these uh, self cooperating uh, tendencies in, in the art world. This was fun. Well, thank you so much, Zoran, for telling us yeah. things. Thank you for coming over. Thank you both so much for joining us here and for allowing us to listen into your conversation. To listeners, do check out our website for more information, links, and references. You can find us at minor.hypotheses.org forward slash podcast.